Congratulations. Um, hey, another really great thing too. Um, a few a few months back, um, I put people on the spot here, but a few months back, there's a gal uh, started coming to Sierra Bible Church. She sat in the back row and was exploring Christianity and was invited here by some friends and uh, and on Easter gave her life to the Lord, accepted Jesus as her Savior, and she's in the front row now. So. You're, you were late. It's the only seat left. <laughs> that's hilarious. I thought it was actually because you wanted it to be closer, but that's cool. It's a t- I thought it was like a good metaphor, you know, back row, front row. Love you too. That's awesome. Um, let me give you a couple announcements here uh, as we dive in. Some things that are important um, uh, since uh, there's a lot going on. We are doing a bingo night uh, this week uh, on Friday, I believe. Uh, that's the 23rd. And so if you want to sign up, this is for guys and gals. There's prizes. It's going to be a blast. I uh, want to invite you to sign up for that outside. In addition to that, we're also doing a father-daughter dance on April 30th. So if you're a dad, please get your, your daughter and come dance. I'm going to be there. It's going to be great. In addition to this, uh, you guys know, if you haven't heard, you know, uh, the, the public school decided not to do prom. So Sierra Bible Church is putting on prom for the high school. So that's pretty neat. Um, this Saturday, we're getting ready to clean, do all our spring cleanup. So if you want to come, bring a shovel, some gloves, and help dial in uh, our outdoor stuff. Because we are going to move outside for uh, the summer. And, and we're doing that not because of COVID. We're doing it because you guys loved it so much. Uh, and it actually helps accommodate uh, more, uh, more people in, in the summer surge. Which leads me to the next slide here. Um, Here's what we've done. So we are going to take a few more spots. This is actually, this is even for this service right now. Uh, our parking situation obviously is, is tight. And so we've been trying to think out of the box to accommodate uh, more cars. And so we've connected with a couple uh, businesses. Um, oops, I hit the wrong slide. Um, see if I can get this thing to work. So this is across the street. This right here, this is Sierra Bible Church. See that big SBC with the cross on it? That's our building. We own that 100%. Uh, we don't owe anything on it, so that's kind of neat to know. Um, it's been that way for a while. You don't have to clap. That's just, <laughs> just bragging about it. Um, down in here, we're going to put up some signs uh, because we want our first-time guests to not feel like, they're gonna, uh, like they can't park here, as well as for small children. That's what that says right there. So if you have, it's not parking for small, small children, it's parking for families with small children. Uh, and then right over here, this is behind our building, there's a parking lot uh, with about 30 spots in it. That's the roundabout. If you go into that roundabout towards Sierra Meadows, the first driveway to the left, this, the, the owner of this land here has given us permission uh, to use that as well as um, all of the parking across the street over here. So that should alleviate uh, so, uh, much of our parking situation. So if you're, if you're able to walk across the street, if you're younger or if you're serving in any way, please park uh, across. The, I can see through the window. There's already a bunch of cars along the street. There is a path that you can walk through there. Uh, and so just want to encourage those of you who are able to, to please uh, do that so you can accommodate those who have uh, small children or, or those who, who are a little bit more mature in life, um, which is a nice way of saying you're old. But we love you. Respect our elderly. Um, and then, hey, we, we, um, 
we raised, uh, we've been raising funds for So, Travis, and Amber. I forgot to mention this in the first service, uh, which they are building an orphanage uh, in Mexico, and we've given uh, well over $50,000 to them uh, as a church, just us alone, which is pretty incredible. But our children's director wanted me to let you know, uh, for the last few weeks, they've been actually uh, been encouraging the kids to bring funds over to raise money for uh, serving orphans and widows in Mexico. And over the last few weeks, all of our our little kids next door raised $405 uh, to give this out. That's pretty neat. Uh, and then, I forget, man, there's so much going on. Please sign up for our newsletter so you can know everything that's happening. One of the businesses that uh, we've really been supporting as a church during the, the pandemic, uh, which uh, has been an amazing thing that we've been able to do as a church and, and help people out, is uh, the jiu-jitsu uh, place here, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu here in Truckee. Uh, the owner of the gym. Her daughter comes to church here. She's a great gal, and they were here for Easter. And as a thank you to the church, as a way to communicate, hey, uh, thank you so much for supporting our business in this time. This is actually, this month is known as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so she's putting on for our church a free self-defense class uh, for the gals who want to defend themselves. And so, yeah, and and this is pretty incredible. We've got like 30 30 of our kids in our church, our young kids, who are signed up for jiu-jitsu. And, and Caleb, who's a youth pastor, these kids are about to come into youth group, and he's a little worried. He's a little scared. So you know what he did, right? He signed up, and he's now doing jiu-jitsu so he can defend himself in Jesus' name against uh, kids. So this is all out there at the info booth, as well as the newsletter has a digital sign-up for you. Uh, and so that's pretty neat. I, I feel like, man, it's just really cool that some of these businesses and people are coming forward. If you haven't listened to the Easter message, I shared a lot of the neat things that are happening. Every single day, really, it seems like I'm getting uh, another story of, of God doing something great and amazing in our church. And it's just, what a privilege to be a part of something dynamic and beautiful. I mean, who knew that we were in a pandemic and who knew that God would use that to flourish our community? Just look around. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. You guys are beautiful people. Um. So sign up for bingo and father-daughter dance and go to prom and all those things. Okay. Um, Habakkuk uh, chapter 1. We're going to get another message out of chapter 1. So if you would turn uh, to the book of uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, there's no right or wrong way to say it. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the guys will hand you one. And um, we're going to continue in this book. I'm going to get another message out of uh, chapter 1 and... um, Really, because I wanted to highlight another kind of just dynamic out of, out of this book uh, for us this morning. Here's my big idea. I, I titled the message this morning, The Smallness of Man, um, and, and then I added to it uh, as I was kind of thinking about how I, I wanted to preach this particular message. The smallness of man is the solution to man's woes. Uh, next week, we're going to get a little bit into actually the word woe. There's several of them that are in chapter 2. But really, right, what we're dealing with within this particular book is you're dealing with a guy who literally has uh, seen his people, the Jewish people. He has seen them go from a place of greatness to uh, a place of really smallness, a a place of, of blessing where the temple was built and all these great things were happening to a place of depravity, to a place where the people of God began to worship other gods and other deities. 
And Habakkuk is standing before the Lord. He's having a conversation with God. That's why we've titled this Conversations with God in Confusing and Troubling Times. And so here is this man. He's wrestling with God, and he's asking God questions. He asks him several questions, and God responds. God is gracious enough to communicate with Habakkuk on what is going down. Essentially, uh, the prophet is asking God for how long? I mean, the, the way I have framed it for us to a certain degree, uh, he, he's crying out, God, how long, how long are we going to do social distancing? How long are we going to talk about vaccines? How long are we going to talk about the pandemic? How long are we going to be in social isolation? How long, how long, God, what are you doing? And, and he's challenging God to a certain degree. And so what I want to do this morning as God uh, has allowed the Babylonians to, he's building them up, literally tells him that he's building up this kingdom to come and place them in captivity and that God knows what he's doing. And so part of what I want us to understand is the smallness of man is the cure to our woes or the smallness of man helps us, helps us walk through some of our troubling times and the, the grandness of God, the bigness of God really brings us joy. So let me read to you. I'm going to read a, a couple verses here. Um, from chapter 1, a little bit in chapter 2, and then we'll break it apart. So if you're new with us this morning, uh, we love God's Word, we honor God's Word, we believe it is His spoken Word to us, He's speaking to us while we read it. Would you stand with me this morning as we read from Scripture? Verse 12, God, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrongs, why do you idly look at traitors? He's making an accusation. God, why are you seem to be standing off and, and, and not doing anything about this situation and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more than righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And then he continues to ask a few more questions, and then look at verse 1 of chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, and I will answer concerning my complaint. Uh, Lord, help us to grasp the, the, this, the largeness of who you are. Help us to worship you as we should through the, the preaching of your word. Help us to position ourselves as teachable, yieldable to what it is you want to do amongst us. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so I want you to see contrast a little bit. I want you to see something that's happening within the verses I've just read. He, he first of all, he recognizes that God is like a rock. He, he recognizes that God is vast, uh, that he is eternal. Uh, but then, he, then at the same time, he's asking why are you idly standing by and why are you silent? I think those are kind of strong questions to ask God. How come you're not doing anything? And why aren't you saying the right things, O Lord? And then in verse 2, even though uh, he, I'm sorry, verse, um, verse 14, he is questioning God, but then at the same time he uses this language, mankind is like the fish of the sea. They're, they're small. They're not great or grandiose. And then, and then in chapter 2, he has the goal to say, well, I'm going to go stand up in my watch post, my watchtower. I'm going to station myself there, and I'm going to see what you have to say to me. He kind of is contradicting himself a little bit. He's understanding the bigness of God, the smallness of man, and yet he's kind of puffing his chest out to God. Well, what is your view of the largeness of God? What is your view of yourself as a person? Like, how big are you? How great are you? Are you pretty special this morning? 
Uh, one of the kind of idols we have in American culture is that we, we do idol the self. Uh, our culture literally kind of surrounds itself with how many likes do you get on Instagram and how many views do you get on YouTube kind of society where celebrity culture worshiping, desiring that, that we would be like celebrity and well-known and, and well-liked. One of the things that um, my wife likes to do is challenge my comfortability. Uh, and in fact, uh, she literally told me one time while we were, um, while we were having a, 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 a conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's the right word, a conversation. And she told me once, she said, you know, you're, one of your idols is, is comfort. And I was like, yeah. And so what she does, and um, I've been to counseling for this, and uh, my counselor literally told me one time, and this is a true story, I, I, I every now and then I'll go see someone to help me out because you people drive me crazy. And, <laughs> and uh, he said to me, he said literally, anytime your wife says you, have to go do, you go do something, you have to go do it. And so my wife says to me the, uh, a little while back, we need to go to Utah. <laughs> Utah? What's in Utah? I have a wife. I don't need to go to Utah. Right. <laughs> Good. And um, so uh, we, the reason we went to Utah, actually, is I have a high school friend that um, has about 2,000 acres in Utah. And uh, it's actually Wayne Hoig's daughter. I went to high school with her. We, were, we graduated together. And we still maintain a good friendship. And she loves the Lord. And she's got uh, three girls that are with her. She's got two, uh, two twins, 13 years old. And she's got a 16-year-old uh, as well that's just driving. And they're just adventurous as all get out. We got to go out there. It was a beautiful time. And uh, they've got everything uh, being born right now. They've got puppies. They had chicks. My kids got to see a baby calf uh, born while we were there, which was a great experience. Um, in fact, they're, her 13-year-old girls, as the calf is being born, you know, to show you the difference between farm girls and my, my boys, the farm girls are, are over there, Dad, let me help, let me give me, and getting their hands all in the slime and getting in there and helping the cow get born. And then my 10-year-old son, he's over by the fence going, oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> So we, we got to contrast farm life between trucky life. And um, while we're in Utah... I've never been to Utah before, not, not outside of Salt Lake City. And one of the things, if you've ever been to Utah, that's quite magnificent is obviously the rock formations and the arches and the things like that. And you can't help when you're driving through uh, that basin to just ask the question, how did this stuff form? How did it come about? How did it get there the way that it is? And after a little bit of research and stuff, you know, it's not even research, really, just driving through the area you're, you're literally driving at the bottom of what was an ocean. And they find shells there, stuff like that. I mean, you're, if, they, if you emptied the ocean out and drove on the bottom of the ocean, that is what it would look like to drive through Utah. And as I'm driving there, I'm realizing the mass, just the vastness of, of the fact that water was there. How did it not, you know, I'm sure it was the flood and there's a biblical explanation. It's just phenomenal. And you can't help as you're kind of going through a place like that uh, the, the, to realize how small and insignificant you really are, right? And then if you just, if you go Google Maps or whatever it is, and you take yourself outside of the world and then to the galaxies of the Milky Way and the other planets, and you realize, man, we're teeny. We're like really, really teeny. And we're small. And because we're small, sometimes people don't like, as humans, they don't like to, to be reminded of their smallness, 
Because there is this thing, all of us have the ego. We want to think that we're big. Some of us even think that we're the center of the universe. I remember in high school literally thinking, what if, what if I literally am the center of the universe and everything exists for my pleasure in my life? Like, what if I'm the only living thing and all of you are just here to entertain me, right? I mean, I had that thought. It was is existential, and, and, and obviously I don't believe that today. But we try to do things to cope with the fact that we know that we're small, even to the fact where, where in our American culture, we don't even want to deal with death. We hide death. We don't deal with death very well. Most of us have never seen an open casket. Most of us uh, have not been to very many funerals, and this is in contrast to so many other cultures that actually have a, a much more holistic view of passing from this life to the next. So, so here's a few ways that humanity has dealt with trying to bring God down to their level. Number one, uh, there's the idea of atheism, right? It's just simply that, that God doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Everything is random. Everything came from chaos. There was a big boom, whatever it might be. That's atheism. We just don't want to think about God. We don't believe there's a God. Don't talk to me about God. Uh, and, and it's funny that atheists get angry that, about the idea that people believe in God which is kind of silly. It's like being angry that people believe in the Easter Bunny. It's like, why would you be so upset, right? And, and then there's agnostics. It's the idea that there is a God, but you can't know him. He's, he's too big. They recognize he's big. They recognize he's large, that man is somehow finite. And so there's an idea there, there's a God, but, but he has no relationship with man. Some people deal within pantheism, which is that everything is God. Right? The perfect movie for this is Avatar. You ever seen Avatar? Uh, the, the big, they're coming out with another one, by the way. I'm really excited about it. And Avatar, um, right? Everything's God. Everything's connected to God. You're God. I'm God. We're all God. And that, that's one way to deal with it. Another way to deal with it is animism, which is the worship of nature and animals. Like, like all animals are God, uh, and, 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 and we can worship them, and that's kind of animism. And then there's also another belief out there that's kind of like karma, the f- like, like, like the force, Right, the force. Have you heard of the force before, uh, with midichlorians and 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 I I joke, but this is a Star Wars like Star Wars basically has taken an actual belief and made a movie out of it that that there is a good force and an evil force and there's just kind of this energy and this vibe and we can get in touch with it. Maybe you could wear a crystal or a rock around your neck to get in touch with it. Right? Maybe you can uh, do all kinds of weird things. That's kind of the idea of the force. I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, but the force is connected to these things called midichlorians. I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but I felt like I needed to. Obi-Wan Kenobi's midichlorian count is 15,000. Did you know that? The incredible thing is Yoda's is 18,000, one of the strongest there is. Just thought I'd share that with you. Um, <clears throat> any, yeah, science. Science. I like that. Science. Science. Uh, any... any <laughs> I did this in the first service, and I realized this was stupid. I should not have put this in. Now it's in my slideshow, and I was stuck with it, and I couldn't just skip the Yoda slide without be kind of weird, awkward moment. Why is there a Yoda slide in there? Because some people literally believe in the Force. Um, and, then, and then here's the other idea, though. Like, let's take, let's take, I got to get this off the screen. Um, Let's take the idea, let's take the idea that, that maybe people will give you and I the benefit of the doubt that God exists. And this is something that actually we wrestle with, even within mainline uh, Christianity, that, that the idea that if there is a God, no one would disagree 
with the, the statement that God is love. That, that if God exists, God is love, and so God's going to be cool with basically everything, right? God isn't judging. He's not wrathful, and he's not angry. That's, that's a major thought. And it's so pervasive that, that really many churches have just taken out the idea of, of God's wrath. They've removed much of what is difficult in the Bible to wrestle with. I mean, one of the reasons we're in this book is not only because it coincides with the evil age in which we are in, but it does force us to deal with the fact that sometimes God allows hard things to happen that we can't fathom because we're literally too small to really grasp what they are. One pastor says in regards to this idea of God being love, um, and, and just kind of throwing that out there, that if you dig around, he says what people mean when they say that is that God is some sort of wrathless fairy-like Tinkerbell who floats about sprinkling pixie dust on people. And the quickest way to make a secular mind furious, listen carefully now, and an evangelical mind nervous is to talk about God as being wrathful, to talk about the reality that God is a just judge so we love justice until someone starts to talk about God being just. Then all of a sudden we don't like it. Christians get nervous about that. They get nervous about the idea of hell. They get nervous about God who would judge people. Uh, are you with me this morning? Can you, can you hear kind of the, 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 this reality that, that, that God, that people think in their minds that God wouldn't do anything bad or anything hard because he's, he's loving, right? And what we end up doing is we end up actually defining love from our own small humanistic mind. We begin to say, this is what love is, and this is what love isn't. Now, now let me just say, all of the things I've just stated, all of the different, different views, atheism, agnosticism, pantheism, animism, and those are just a few, right? There's so many, many more. All of them are an attempt by man to bring God down to man's level that man would not be so frustrated or fearful of God. All of them bring God down to man's level. I like what Keller actually says uh, about this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So the idea that, that if your God is always saying the things you want him to say and is always doing the things you want him to do, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're worshiping a God that you want in your own image, okay? So we need to talk about God's love and God's justice in view of man's smallness and God's bigness, and we need to define and understand the view of God's love. But we, we do know that God is loving, right? But we have to deal with God's wrath and some of the judgment we're dealing with in, in Habakkuk as well. So let's just talk about the definition of love. Okay, the definition of love in our culture is just, it's just so minimized. It's small, and it's teeny, and it's worthless, right? How do I know that? Okay, if, I, if you came to my house and you had pizza and I told you, if we had pizza together and I told you, I love pizza, right? Who loves pizza? That's, that's a lot of you. The rest of you didn't raise your hands. I don't know what's wrong with you. Pizza's, pizza's great. Now, if I tell you at the same sentence, if I say, okay, I love pizza. However, I also, I also, I love my wife and I love my kids. Those two words we know because, well, you hope you know, you, you assume, you're assuming that I love my wife more than I love pizza. And my wife is in the room and I can tell you I love my wife more than I love pizza, okay? But, but unless I define that and bring that, we really don't know. Now, go to uh, John chapter 21. I'll put it on the screen for you if you um, don't have time to turn there real quick because I do want you to see this. This is actually probably one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. 
It's in the Gospel of John, and it's at the end of John. And at the end of John, Jesus has died for the sins of the people, so we know he's loving, and he's been resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat death. And the disciples have bailed, and they've gone to the, back to the, the, the sea to go fishing because they're basically like, Jesus is dead, our life is over. But Jesus follows after them. He shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up on the beach, finds his disciples, and he ends up having a meal with them, and they have breakfast together. They, literally, they come from the boat to land, and Jesus is cooking them uh, breakfast. And it says this, when they finished breakfast, chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus, I, I, in my mind, I see him taking Simon off to the side, but he may very well have this conversation with all the disciples there. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, it almost seems repetitive in our English language. You read that, and you're like, he asked him if he loved him three times, and he gets sad the third time. What's happening here? Well, you, you need some understanding of the original language, which, again, is lost on us. This is why it's important to kind of dig a little deeper when you read the Bible so you can pull out the nuance and the beauty of what's in Scripture. See, Jesus pulls him off to the side. He first says, do you agapeo me? That's the original language that's used. It's, it's a word for love that is like it's God's love. It's an eternal love. It's like a perfect love. And, 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 and the response for maybe the first time ever from Peter is the humble response, right? This is the guy. This is literally the guy who's being pulled off to the side after he's denied Jesus three times. This is the guy who said, Jesus, I'll die the same death you die. I'll follow you as soon as Jesus is arrested. Three different people come up to him. Hey, are you a disciple too? And he says, no, I'm not. And he rejects Jesus. Now he's here and he's humbled himself. And Jesus is asking him this question, do you agapeo me with a perfect kind of love, a great kind of love? Do you love me? And he responds and he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Not agapeo, but phileo. A phileo is, is the language that's used for a friendship kind of love. It's not a perfect love. It's like a love of a brother. Jesus, even though he doesn't, get, he doesn't get the answer we think that he's looking for, he doesn't get agapeo, he gets phileo, Jesus still then commends him and says, go feed my lambs. Then he says it again, a second time. Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Perfect love. Do you love me perfectly? Peter says, Lord, you know, you, you, we've already been through this, Lord, you know, you're God, I phileo you. And then again, Jesus says, tend to my sheep. He commissions him, even though he's not getting the perfect answer, he commissions him into ministry. Then a third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, and here's the kicker, Jesus comes down to Peter's level, do you phileo me? Peter hangs his head. He realizes that Jesus does what Jesus does. He knows that his people are imperfect. He knows that Peter's imperfect, and he says, okay, you know I phileo you, Lord. You know this is true, and then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Isn't it beautiful? So we know that Jesus is loving. We know that God is loving. We know that he is kind, and we know that he is gracious, and we know that he's long-suffering, and we know as Christians, one of the things that draws us into Christianity is the reality that we know that we cannot be perfect, and only Jesus can be perfect. Amen? We know this. 
It's still at the core of our being at times. We're trying to earn God's love or earn our spouse's love or earn our kids' love. But at the end of the day, Jesus loves you because he loves you. Flat out, period. No strings attached other than the one string that only matters, which is the death that he died for you, the perfect life that he's lived for you. But then we, we deal with that. We read something like that, and we're thinking of, of the largeness of God and the wrath that we're experiencing somewhat in Habakkuk and what God's people are experiencing in the evil days, and we wonder, where is God in all of this and, and what is happening with his wrath? What do we do with his wrath? Surely, if he's this loving, then he's not going to be wrathful. But the opposite is true. You see, love, when true love exists, only in true love will there be a wrathful response. And to give you a picture, if somebody hurt my daughter, she's the littlest one in our family, she's, she's dainty and, and she's gentle for the most part, unless she's screaming, and she's just a, a, she's a beautiful little girl. And if someone hurt her because she matters to me, because she's part of me, because, because I helped bring her into this world, my only correct response would be anger at the fact that somebody hurt her, right? Because I love her. If I didn't love her, if I didn't care about her, I wouldn't have a wrathful response. So the fact that God is angry at sin, the fact that he does get angry at sin has nothing to do with the fact that he's not loving. It actually has everything to do with the fact that he is loving because you are his created creature. You belong to him, right? And every time we choose sin, every time that we choose to do something that we shouldn't do, we should experience in that moment the justice of God. Let's just be clear. Okay, the smallness of man comprehending the bigness of God. Let's just understand this about God first and foremost. You know he knows everything, right? Like there's nothing he doesn't know. He knows absolutely everything. In fact, Job 28, 24 says he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. Like he's present all the time, every place, all places. I remember uh, several years back, a gal uh, from Brazil gave her life to the Lord and she came to me, a brand new Christian. She came to me and she said, she said I'm so used to the Catholic church and, and, and I have some sins I want to confess. Uh, where do I meet with the priest? to confess my sins. And I said, you don't need to meet with a priest to confess your sins. She said, what do you mean I don't need to meet with a priest? I need my sins absolved. I need them forgiven. And so we, we went through the conversation how Jesus is the high priest, and you can go directly to Jesus anywhere, at any time, at any place, and you can pray to Jesus, and Jesus will forgive you of your sins. Jesus is right where you are, wherever you are. And she stood out of her seat, and she literally said, you mean Jesus is with me everywhere I go? Yeah! Right? She, she, she couldn't contain herself with the reality that, that, that God literally is everywhere. One uh, pastor says, in regards to the fact that he is everywhere, one of the reasons that we are at times so comfortable in our sin is because we've lost respect for the presence of God. We forget that he is in all places at all times. And the correct response in the largeness of God is not only that he knows all, but as he knows all and sees all, and the fact that we're, we're never absolutely alone, ever alone. In fact, if you have a moment, if you can, whether you're quick with it or not, you know where it is, I, I want you to see a verse out of Isaiah chapter 47, verse 9. Isaiah 47, verse 9. <clears throat> <clears throat> these two things, God says, shall come upon you in a moment. And one day the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. 
in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. Oh, see what he's saying? He's saying there's judgment coming because you're practicing witchcraft. And the witchcraft, it seems, it seems to be implied in the text that the witchcraft is actually bringing out some kind of power from their enchantments. They're, they're experiencing something. He's saying in spite of your demonic worship, verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness and you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Right? Isaiah says there's a judgment coming because you think that, that no one is seeing the things that you do. No one is seeing the, the things that you're, you're thinking or, or, or the actions that you've committed and the sin that you've committed. You think it's a secret. I mean, can we just be really honest about something? If, if all of us could hear our thoughts... Like, we'd have no friends, right? Like, if, if, if people could hear what you think, no one would talk to you. But what this text is saying, what the other texts that preceded it are saying, is that God sees and judges all of those things. Now, now check this out. Revelation chapter 20, this is all talking about moving from this veil into the next, from this world into the, the next world. And it says in verse 11, the vision that, that he sees, he says, I saw a great white throne, and him who seated on the throne, which is Jesus, the only one who belongs on the throne, and he who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no one was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave them up, the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ow! Ow! Okay, now... You, those of you who've been here long enough, you know, for the most part, we don't, we don't pull any punches from the truth. And we try not to. And, and we want God's word to speak. We want God's word to speak for what God's word speaks. Now, take the idea that, that God knows all. God is going to judge all. All of us at some point are going to stand by ourselves before a God who will judge us for what we have done. And there are churches that will just avoid talking about hell altogether and punishment in the lake of fire. They just don't want to talk about it because it's not loving. We've got to define what love is. God's a loving God. He surely wouldn't send anybody to hell. But if we believe in the word of God, it's in the word of God, right? Let me show you in case you didn't see it. Lake of fire. I don't. Lake of fire. It's right there. Right? It's in the Word, so we've got to deal with it. And, and some people would say, God who's loving would never send anybody to hell. And I'll argue with you that, that people go to hell because God is loving. If he didn't punish people for wrongdoing, let me frame it in this way. Let's frame it this way, okay? I use this analogy uh, every now and then. I use it with people when I'm talking about how, how it works when we're in relationship with God. And, and if, I, if I, God forbid, if God forbid I... I slapped my wife. I'm scared even saying it, okay? I think she told me, I can't remember if she said if I ever hit her or if I ever cheated on her. 
she'd hit me in the head with a, a big pan in, over the head while I was sleeping. So every good man needs a healthy dose of fear from their wife. And so um, probably shouldn't have shared that. So um, let's just say I slapped or I slapped. There, there'd be a certain kind of punishment for that, right? Now, now, if I'm driving down the road and I get pulled over by a police officer and, and, and Andrew Holbrook pulls me over and, and, I, and he writes me a ticket and I'd be like, how dare you, you're an elder at our church, and I slap him. It's different kind of punishment, right? It went from a ticket to incarceration. And then now let's just say now I'm incarcerated because one of the elders arrested me for slapping him. And then I go before the judge and Andy Homer, who, who's a judge, and he's in church here, and Andy says, you've got to serve some time. I go, how dare you? You go to our church. And I slap Andy Homer across the face. There's a different kind of punishment and offense for that, yeah? Right? Now, imagine if you slap your maker. You slap your God. And when we deal with, like, levels of sin, whether, whether we're dealing with, with same-sex attraction or sleeping with someone outside of marriage or lying or cheating, and someone says, surely not one sin can go to hell. Well, wait a minute. What if, what if any sin is actually to slap the, the maker who made you in the face? Well, the Bible literally says that it is. Jesus actually puts us in a, a rock and a hard place. He says things like this to guys, right? Hey, guys, if you've ever looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, let's push that even further. If you've ever experienced any kind of anger or hate towards your, your brother in your heart, then, then you're actually guilty of, of murder because in your heart, that's what uh, leads to death. And those who, who slap God in the face in that way, what they deserve is the lake of fire. The, the real question we should be asking is how in the world does anybody get saved at all? Like, why would anybody go to heaven? Because all of us are guilty of of sin. All of us have done things against our maker that we should not have done, and he judges all, and he will judge all. And the reality is that some of us, some of us think that the fact that we're not dealing with wrath right now, that God doesn't respond in wrath right now, is evidence that God is okay with what's happening in the world, and that's not simply the case. In fact, there's a, a verse in the Bible, I have it in my notes here, but I, I didn't make it clear enough for me to read it, so... It literally says that, that basically God is being long-suffering and patient, and he's allowing you to store up wrath for yourself. Right? His inactivity towards your sin and those things you do in the dark, he's saying, I'm letting you do them because eventually you're going to have to answer for these things. You think that you're not being punished, but the reality is you're just heaping up more wrath for yourself. Right? I mean, it, you scared? You sh- are you scared? You should, be, you should be scared. We'll get to the good stuff here in a minute setting you up for the kill. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're a parent, you deal with this to some degree or another. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, now, we've got four kids, and I love all of my kids. They're all super unique. They're all good at different things. And uh, all of them have super strong personalities. Like, none of them are passive. They're all They're all aggressive. And they all think, all four of them think they know everything. I don't know where they get it. <laughs> but they've got it in spades, okay? And, and, and I'll have conversations with my kids, and they'll go something along the lines, this is what you should do, and this is why you should do it, and then they'll defy me. And in those moments, of course, I'm thinking, you can't, I'm your father. Why would you defy me? I'm your dad. 
Well, so, I mean, I get those responses. So what if you're my dad? Well, <laughs> and in that moment, you want, you, you want to do some things, right? And parenting is difficult. And, in, and likewise, at times, we stand before God, and I want you to see it because Habakkuk is basically doing this with the Lord. He's questioning God. He's asking why God is doing what he's doing. He, he's saying, God, if, if I was in the driver's seat, God, I would do it differently. And then he goes and he stands in his tower and he goes, answer me. It's no different than a young child saying, hey, listen, I would do it differently. And now I'm going to go stand and wait in my room until you decide to do the right thing. Dude, you're four. You're four years old. I have literally my four-year-old. I've taken him when he's, because he's aggressive too. They're all aggressive. Like I said, don't know where they get it. And, and I've literally, when he's, he's yelling at me and he's giving me his gusto, and he's and I've literally just gone like this. And you know that line from Batman when, with Bane, and Bane goes, do you feel in control? <laughs> just reminding you of my vastness and your smallness. And every now and then when I do that, I have an image of... of of God doing that with me, but then I also have the terror of my son growing big and strong and me frail and old and him doing it to me. Do you feel in charge? Like I'm going to experience that pain at some point down the road. We don't understand what we're doing when we sin, and we think, we think that that storing up of wrath and the patience of God is somehow, somehow he's giving us permission. But don't, don't be... Don't be led astray. God knows everything that we're doing. And the speaker who did our parenting conference for us a few weeks ago, he had a great line about for parents as you parent your children to be mindful of the fact that one day that your children are going to stand before their maker and you don't get to be there. They're going to have to stand on their own before a holy God. And the reality is for all of us that when we pass from this veil to the next, and we do, and like I said, like, like we don't talk about death a whole lot as a culture. We do everything we can to not really deal with it. But one day you're going to pass from this veil of life into the next veil of life, and you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand one-on-one -on -one before the Lord, and he's going to have a conversation with you. It's the judgment seat. It's the place in which God is going to have a conversation with us about how we've been doing. So what do we do? What do we do with this reality that, that, that God is going to answer our question. I mean, Habakkuk's made the accusation, you're being silent, but the reality is, is God is nothing but silent. I mean, he, he even says that, that his beauty, his magnificence is screamed in nature. And when you walk outside and you look at the trees and you look at the stars or you look at, like I said, being at the bottom of an empty ocean in Utah, everything screams of the magnificence and largeness of God. There is no excuse for any of us he is real. He does exist. There is an order to things. Well, ultimately, we have to recognize that man cannot fix man's issues. One of the great lines that Habakkuk says here is, you, O rock, if you remember, if, if you haven't had a chance, check it out, the, the Easter message, which was literally about hiding ourselves in the rock that is Jesus. The only way that you can deal with the wrath of God, the only way anyone can deal with the wrath of God is to hide themselves inside of God. So here's, here's ultimately what I want you to walk away with this morning, okay? As we leave this place, if, if, 
If you can imagine yourself having to stand before God, either we'll stand there and, and we, we won't have that advocate that is Christ, and, and God will say, why should you enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why should you enter into my presence? And if what we do is this, and this is the same thing sometimes my kids do, well, look, at, look at the good things I've done. You know that I, I preached every week, Lord. You, you know that I was faithful to my wife. You, you know that, that I, I didn't lie really all that often. You know that I didn't get that angry on the road because, you know, except for the, the four-way stop down there. But you got to, you know, Lord, you know that four-way stop. You got to, everybody gets mad at that stop. Isn't that what people say? Well, everyone gets mad in that kind of an arena. That's just to be human, yeah? Or we compare ourselves. You, you know how most people think that God's loving. Well, how do you get to heaven? Don't kill anybody. That's the standard, huh? I just got to get through life and not murder anybody, and I'm in. That's how a lot of people view God. He's loving. I don't kill anybody. I get in. And we're going to stand there, and God's going to say, no, I'm holy. You've committed cosmic injustice. You've hated in your heart. You've lusted. You, you've done these things. I've seen them, and there is not a, any amount of good that you can ever do to earn yourself into the kingdom of heaven. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there by yourself? And then Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Or, or you can accept the fullness of the gospel, which is to hide yourself in Christ and faith that Jesus is the one who did all of the things that were necessary to earn us into heaven, to, to win us over into the kingdom of God. And the good news is, is either you can stand in heaven by yourself or you can stand in heaven with Jesus as your advocate. Right, God the Father looking down at you and saying, why should I let you in? And Jesus is over here going, <laughs> I got it covered. Right, well, did you live a perfect life? Jesus can be over, you know. <laughs> this guy? I don't think it's going to be like that. But he literally, yes. Because he's imputed, that, that's the doctrine of imputation. The, the, the reality of what we call the great exchange on the cross, that on the cross, Jesus took from us our sin, removed it from our, our, our soul, if you will, and he placed it upon the cross. He placed it upon Jesus and imputed Christ with our unrighteousness and our ugliness and our misdeeds. And then likewise, he's imputed to us his perfect works, his goodness, his perfection, his sinlessness is given to us, free for us, but paid by the blood of the Lamb. How do you want to stand before a wrathful God? Do you want to take on that wrath full force and try to defend yourself with your good deeds? Or do you want to stand before God at the judgment seat and realize that you won't be judged for your sins because Jesus already took the judgment for you? That's the gospel. So in Habakkuk, we have to deal with, with the idea of wrath, but the idea of wrath isn't to, to lead us to this place that God is angry and he hates you. No, 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 no. He loves you, and he's willing to take that wrath and place it upon his son so that you don't have to taste it. But be confident of this. All of us will stand before God, either with the covering of our own good works or the covering of the cross in Christ. Which one do you want to stand before him with? As one great place in Scripture says, as for me and my house will serve the Lord and as for me and my soul, I will hide it in the cleft in the rock that is Jesus Christ. And may we humble ourselves in service to God, not standing in a tower and saying, answer me, Lord, but as Brad sang right before I came up to preach, may we fight the battle where? On our knees. See the, the happiness of man? 
the completion of man, the joy of man, is in the smallness of man, hidden in the bigness of God. Amen? Would you stand with me as we worship the Lord one last time? The Lord, as we um, sing to you, maybe some of us this morning need to just do a little bit of, of kind of soul searching, Lord. Maybe some of us this morning just need to, to be honest with you, Lord, and confess maybe some of our secret sins to you, some of the things that we've been wrestling with, Lord, and just give it to you because the reality is, is that because you've dealt with our sins, Lord, you, you don't judge us for them. And there's no more confidence. I mean, there's no more, no more, um, Lord, condemnation for us in Christ. But there is access to you, all times, all places, this great, large, beautiful, infinite God, Lord, that you have, have blanketed us with your goodness and your kindness, and we have the ability now to be completely free in you. And I pray that, that we would find that freedom this morning. It would cause us to sing. It would cause us to live a life worthy of your glory. And that we would go forth from this place confident that we're your children, Lord. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. He is worthy, friends. Let's lift our voices in adoration. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring 